Good morning, everyone. Hope everybody's doing good today. It's interesting how the Lord teaches you things. <laughs> and sometimes he just teaches it through repetition. And eventually, we get it. Right after he goes through it so many times, we, we kind of get an idea that that might be something he's saying, and then we test it out and prove it out and, and realize that's exactly what he's doing and saying. This morning, um, as you can see on there, um, we'll, we'll see what the Lord has for us, but what he, what he has laid on my heart during worship um, at the beginning of worship, I was shaking just so crazy. And this went downstairs, but, but I, I, I showed her and, and it was just like, like full on twitching. Like, it was crazy. And I, I feel it a little bit now, but, uh, but it was crazy earlier. And, that's happened to me many, many times, and the Lord has said that that, that will happen to me more and more. And I, I just assumed that it would be a constant thing, that, okay, well, my shaking will just get worse, and I'll just kind of shake all the time, right? And this morning, what I, what I realized, what he showed me is that there's a purpose in the shaking. And what I didn't realize is that What the purpose was, how do I explain this, was to defend against something coming against this church. <clears throat> and when that came against, and the shaking was so heavy, the Lord had me declare, he had me pray, he had me declare some very specific things. And a few moments later, the shaking just kind of died down to, I always shake, I always kind of shake a little bit, but died down to a normal shake. And, and then later in worship, I, I, I realized I wasn't shaking anymore. And, and, uh, and Lord, okay, could that be that it comes on when, when there's an attack I'm unaware of? And, and not just, because I, I wasn't feeling an attack myself. I rarely do. Um, but an attack of the atmosphere, of, of what God wants to do in a place, okay, versus what the enemy wants to block in a place. And, and the reason I'm telling you this is because we, we seek God in relationship, and we talked about this in the gifts meeting yesterday, we seek God in relationship so that he can work through us however he wants to work through us. And what he begins to do is a process of teaching us how he wants to do it. Teaching us what different things mean. Remember, there's a gap between us and him, right? We don't exist. We don't live in the dimensions he lives in. He can come to us. We cannot go to him without his interaction, without 
His Holy Spirit. That's why it was significant that Jesus said the Father would send the Holy Spirit as soon as He was ascended to heaven. So He gives us things that we can learn, that we can recognize, so we can know what He's doing. And that's one thing He showed me just now. What that shaking is. In your own life, He will teach you different things in your life that He wants you to recognize, that show that He's working, that show that He might be teaching you something, or He might be doing something through you to affect others. By the way, that's what the gifts are. Uh, the Romans 12 through 14 talk about the gifts, and 12 and 14, I should say, separated by love in the middle there, but talks about how the gifts are for the bride. They're for the church. So see, we have a responsibility to learn how God wants to work through us and what He wants to do in us because so many Christians walk their Christian life thinking it's about me. Just that it's about ourselves. And a better life for us a closer walk with Him and the joy of that relationship, and that's all it's about. Now, it is about those things, don't get me wrong. It is certainly about that walk with Him, that intimacy with Him, that best friendship that He offers. But if it does not translate out around you, into the circles that God has put you in, the friendships, the connections that God has put you in, then you're missing a very serious link in your walk with Christ. Because, see, He looks at the bride as one, right? They're to be one, they're to be unified, they're to be together, this fine-oiled working machine, right? Now, thank God that He set it up in such a way that He knew that the overall bride would not be overall unified without effort, without work. That's what we call the readying of the bride. So he allowed local pockets of the bride to perform in the same way. So we, as a local pocket, if you will, of the bride, we have a responsibility within our group here to operate in the same way the overall bride is supposed to. We're supposed to be there for each other. We're supposed to reach out to each other. We're to be God working through us for each other. That's why He gives us different gifts. If that wasn't the case, then, then it would just be just as simple for him to take one person, say, take the pastor, we'll just give this pastor all the gifts that this local body needs, and there, we don't have to worry about that local body anymore. What part of relationship does that accomplish? None. In fact, what you end up having, having is you have these pastors that then control everything and, and prayerfully, hopefully, they have a relationship with the Lord. But if they don't, you have what happened in Guyana with Jim Jones. 
You know, you have all of these cults that spring up because they look at the person. See, that's not how the bride is supposed to work. The bride is supposed to work that each single person in that local assembly, and in addition to the entire bride, is just as important as anyone else, has just as important a role as anybody else. Now the problem is, we don't take up our role. Oftentimes, we don't take up our role. And why is that? Because of a mindset that we grow up with. See, America is the most awesome nation, in my opinion, in history. I'm a little, you know, because I'm American, of course I'm going to think that way, right? But here's the thing that has been a difficulty to the bride in America. See, we were raised in America to believe that you can do anything. You can rise to whatever height you want to. You know, look, look at the industry of motivational speakers. I mean, I, anybody in here not pour hundreds of dollars into motivational speakers? We all have. I, we, could, we could show you tapes. I mean, back when they had actual tapes. <laughs> VHS tapes and little cassette tapes. Right? Of all these motivational speakers and, oh, I, I, need, I need my fix today. Let me put in that motivational speaker and they're going to get me all charged so I can go out and do what I need to do. And, and by the way, I'm not downing motivation. I think motivation is important, but it's an attitude of the heart. See, if I'm trying to do this whole thing, and I'll be honest with you, if I was trying to do this whole thing for me, what, what a waste of time. If, if I'm doing this whole thing just to have a better life for me, I would have been better off doing what I was doing as a builder. Making a whole lot more money. Having a whole lot more control of my schedule. Because see, I, back then I didn't have to jump when somebody had a need. But see, we're not called to ourselves. We're called to each other. Certainly within this local group, but within the entire bride. It's not just a privilege to be there for other people. It is a responsibility. When you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, you're born into a family that then gives you a responsibility my responsibility is to grow my relationship with Christ so I could be placed into the position and the exact function that Jesus intended me to be in from the very beginning. Why? Because He needs to use me that way so I can affect others. He needs it for me too. Do you know that my closeness with Christ in relationship depends upon that? Your closeness with Christ depends upon that. I have so many people. It, one, of, one of the, I want to say most generic or biggest question, whatever you want to call it, 
When, when I talk to people about relationship with Christ, it's how do I start that? How do I start? How do I begin? A rela- you know, and I'm talking about once they're saved, obviously you have to open the door first and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. But beyond that, how, how do you start doing that? How do, I, how do I learn His voice? How do I recognize what He wants for my life? You get this a lot when you work with young people. How do I know what I'm supposed to do in life? Right? And what I would challenge you in answering you, I would say, if you would first fall in love with Jesus Christ, and then secondly, fall in love with His bride, He'll do the rest. He'll do the rest. It's seeking the simple so that he can do the complicated. We don't have to do the complicated. We don't have to figure it all out. But the problem is we get sidetracked because of things that we think are important. And, and that goes back to why, why it is tough to be an American. Because we are exceptional in our thought process. That, that the goal and the competition in America is such that if you want to be there, you need to be exceptional. I will say this. In some ways, it's the same as in the bride. The difference is we don't do the exceptional ourselves. Right? We don't do the exceptional ourselves. We let Jesus do the exceptional through us. Did that turn off? Okay. So he wanted me to talk this morning. I really question him on this, but this is what he wants. This past week, on Tuesday night, for those of you who were here, you heard a declaration that is significant. This declaration was a declaration of war. That was Tuesday, right? Okay. (laughs) Sorry, everything blends together for me. Tuesday night was a declaration of war. By the way, it was not us declaring war. It was God declaring war. This declaration of war was against a specific enemy. And that is witchcraft. These are human enemies to Jesus Christ. And this is, by the way, in in what he did on Tuesday night, this is not some generic thing. Yeah, God's now against witchcraft. No, he's always been against witchcraft. But there has been a specific battle for, I don't know, 250 years over this country where witchcraft has won that war. And and I've talked about this before. I don't know how much detail he wants me to go in, but in 1761, significant authority was gained by witchcraft over this nation. We've talked about that. In 1961, 200 years later, that 
authority that was birthing and culminating over those 200 years and, and, and really building up its voice exploded in 1961, 57 years ago, three years before I was born. It was at the hands of Justice Earl Warren. And I know this could be controversial for those of you listening online, but whom I believe, and I know in my heart, was a witch. Justice Earl Warren was the main person who got prayer out of schools. Who got the Bible out of schools. It was him who pushed through a case that led to, just a few years later, Roe v. Wade. See, Satan knew if he could get it to where the human sacrifice was being done on a large scale, the authority would ramp up. So see, Roe v. Wade was a significant shift in our government. Significant shift in our government. Because each baby that was sacrificed through abortion was a blood sacrifice to the very worship of Satan. Now I know people listening to me online now, and the Lord told me to go live on my personal Facebook page instead of the other. So I, I know there, there are people listening to this or will be listening to this that think that's going a little far. Think that's a little crazy, but I'm here to declare to you that you will see. You will see what the justice of the Father truly means. Because the Lord told me on September 4th that Roe v. Wade will be overturned, but not how we think it will be. Not because we've got a justice in there now that can help overturn it like they are so afraid of. Hate to tell you guys, but it's going to be much worse than that. Because what the Lord told me September 4th is that there will be an amendment to the Constitution passed that will declare life beginning at conception. See, so that's what this is all based on. Because once a life is a life, then under the Constitution it has rights. And because it has not been declared when life begins, they, they push that, well, no, life doesn't begin until birth. Which we know, of course, is incorrect. But what you're going to see over the next couple of years is scientific proof, and it's already coming out, scientific proof that life begins at conception. The moment that seed hits that egg, there is life. 
And from that moment, that life has rights. Now going back to this justice this past week, first of all, please understand, we are in the spot that we are in, in this nation, because of silent pulpits. Because of pulpits that figured, we will not mix politics with religion. Shame on them. Shame on them. Because the voice of God has been silenced, because the very voices that He speaks through have chosen to be silent. And they lived in fear because of what? A tax write-off? That's sad to me. First of all, they clearly don't know their constitution. They don't even know IRS law. If they know IRS law, then they know it can't be taken away from them anyways. But what if they taxed us? Who cares? Who cares? Because if God's the one providing all the money anyways, He'll just up our income. He will not want us to silence our voice. And that's not just from the pulpit. That's from every chair in here. We're not to be silent. That's how we have almost lost this country. Is by being silent. It will not be that way anymore. I declare that certainly with this pulpit. But you will see pulpits rise up. With voices rising up. That will speak truth. That will speak what God wants them to speak. Because this nation is His. One nation. Under God. The God. Not any God you want to believe in. Because there is only one God. And there is only one Son who became a man who lived a perfect, sinless life and then offered that life on the cross for you and for me. Rose from the grave three days later. Spent 40 days being seen by His disciples and others. And then ascended to the right hand of the Father where He sits right now. There's only one Son. There's only one Holy Spirit. See, truth is truth. Truth is not what I think it is. And what you're going to see in this, this declaration is significant. This declaration of war Because what it means is that the enemy will be shown. They will not be able to hide any longer. The Lord has told us here at Ignition that He has made a shift from defense to offense. And I explained this last Sunday, I think. Pretty sure it was last Sunday, wasn't it? Okay. And in this defense to offense, it is a declaration of transparency. 
It is a declaration of making what is known what has been hidden for years. Don't be afraid of what you see on TV. I know this week, I, I don't know about you guys, I watched the entire, I, I may as well have been sitting there in the Senate room, because I was literally watching the entire time. Except it was nice being able to make a sandwich while they're arguing. <laughs> right, but I was watching the entire time, just watching what was going on. And, and you see, you see, if, if you have eyes to discern and you have ears to hear, see what the enemy's doing. See what he's doing. Because it's obvious. It's obvious what he's doing. And I asked the Lord, I, I said... I said, Lord, I mean, could we have gotten something wrong about Brett Kavanaugh? And you know what the Lord told me? He said, no, he is exactly who I wanted my anointed person, Donald Trump, to pick, to put in there. So to me, I, you know, to, well, who do you believe, this or that? I believe them both. I believe them both. I believe Dr. Ford may be confused as to who it really was. That's my guess, but it doesn't matter. Because I fully believe him. And I fully know what the Lord has told me. And I know what the Lord is going to do. Come Friday, you watch. He will be on there. It will be the Lord's will. And what, what's going to happen, though, through this process, and it already has happened, is transparency will show what the enemy's been doing behind the scenes. Something bothering you? Is it bothering you? Just say yes or no. In Jesus' name, I command you, gone. In Jesus' name, I warn you, if you come to distract, you will reap the benefit of what was warned before. It will cost you your life. Picked a great... Great uh, one to put it on my personal Facebook this week, huh? That's okay. The Lord wants me to declare two passages today. He wants me to declare two passages, and I want you to turn to the first one, Psalm chapter 7. I release warring angels to come. Surround this place. I release Michael to come. Rip out anything that is not supposed to be here in Jesus' name. For those of you who have not joined us before, welcome to Ignition. <laughs> Psalm chapter 7, we're going to begin at verse 6. And Father, I ask entrance into your chamber in Jesus' name. 
that I may declare what you have asked me to declare in this realm, in this atmosphere. Thank you, Father. Verse 6. Arise, O Lord, in anger. Stand up against the fury of my enemies. Wake up, my God, and bring justice. Gather the nations before you. Rule over them from on high. The Lord judges the nations. Declare me righteous, O Lord, for I am innocent, O Most High. And the evil of those who are wicked and defend the righteous. For you look deep within the mind and heart, O righteous God. God is my shield. Saving those whose hearts are true and right. God is an honest judge. He is angry with the wicked every day. If a person does not repent, God will sharpen his sword. He will bend the string, or he will bend and string his bow. He will prepare his deadly weapons and shoot his flaming arrows. Get these next three verses. The wicked conceive evil. They are pregnant with trouble and give birth to lies. They dig a deep pit to trap others, then fall into it themselves. The trouble they make for others backfires on them. The violence they plan falls on their own heads. I will thank the Lord because He is just. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. I declare this to be true in Jesus' name. I declare this to be true in this nation in Jesus' name. That the very pits that they dig to throw their enemies in, they will fall in themselves. And you watch, you mark God's words that it will happen this week. You will see it this week. You will see it play out. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. I want you to turn to Isaiah 50. Father, I will declare this in your chamber as well. Beginning at verse 4. The Sovereign Lord has given me His words of wisdom so that I know how to comfort the weary. Morning by morning He wakens me and opens my understanding to His will. The Sovereign Lord has spoken to me and I have listened. I have not rebelled or turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. Because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone, determined to do His will. I'll repeat that verse. Let this sink into your hearts. Let this verse be your own declaration. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone, determined to do His will. And I know that I will not be put to shame. He who gives me justice is near. Who will dare bring charges against me now? Where are my accusers? Let them appear. 
See, the Sovereign Lord is on my side. Who will declare me guilty? All my enemies will be destroyed like old clothes that have been eaten by moths. And then this world, pay attention to this last two verses of declaration. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys his servant? If you are walking in darkness without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely on your God. But watch out. You who live in your own light and warm yourselves by your own fires, this is the reward you will receive from me. You will soon fall down in great torment. Father, I declare, let it be so. Let it be so this week, in this country, in this government, who has been led for so long by the prophets of Baal. But just as Elijah was your spokesperson that came against those prophets, you will do that again. You will come against those who would not lift you up as king. You will come against them and they will be defeated just as the prophets of Baal were. Because what must move forward is your will. Your will be done in this country. Your will be done in the bride. Your will be done in this church. We give you our yes, Father. In anything. We give you our yes. We are not here to determine our own way. But we will step in your way. We will step in your way. Wherever you want us to go. Just take our feet, Father. And plant them where you want them to be planted. We give you our mouths, Father. That we can speak what you want spoken. We give you our hands, Father. To do with what you will. We ask that you move. It is time to move. To begin the transfer of power in this government. Not from Democrat to Republican or whatever to whatever. But literally from Satan to your son. I declare it will be so in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for allowing me to be in your chamber. And continue speaking through me. As these declarations are done in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord wants us to go to 1 Kings chapter 19.
It's interesting how, how he brought up in the declaration just now about Elijah and how he had this confrontation with the prophets of Baal. And you all know the story. The good side won. Except it wasn't just a victory, it was an annihilation. I mean, if you, if you, if you, if you don't know the story, I encourage you, go read the story. It's just prior to where we're at here in 1 Kings 19, but Elijah was so bold because he knew the power of the Lord was going to work through him completely. Max, I need you to stop texting. His boldness was a boldness used by God to defeat, to defeat what was on Israel at that time. And it was amazing because not only did he have the boldness to do it, He had the boldness to tease. I I don't know about you, but if you had 450 prophets of Baal, okay, direct enemies, forget the prophets of Baal, you had 450 direct enemies standing right there with you, and it wasn't just them, because there were also the priests of the Ashereth were there as well, and I can't remember how many of those there were, but you got all these people around, and, and literally you're the only one on your side. Right? And, and you're saying, do this, set this up, and, and by the way, it's not gonna work. And then just, you know, hey, have at it, go, go for it, do what you need to do, and they're all chanting, they're doing whatever they need to do. <laughs> and Elijah has the audacity to say, well, maybe he's going to the bathroom somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right? He starts teasing them about their god Baal. But, I want you to understand, then it came time for God to do His part. And what God did was not just accept the sacrifice that Elijah had prepared, but He destroyed the enemies who would stand up against God. I declare you're going to see that very thing in our government. I believe any moment. I believe it's already started. If we get to December 31st and it hasn't happened, please, you could call me a liar. Because you're going to see it. You're going to see them fumble all over themselves like the prophets of Baal did. When things weren't working, they start cutting themselves. They start doing all the things that they do to work up the emotion of their God. See, the problem is their God is Satan. And their God is under the God. 
and their God couldn't do a thing that the God doesn't allow. We've talked about that in the court system as well. So what happened? They, they work themselves up in a frenzy, but they don't start that way. Read the story. They start doing things in a, you know, nice manner. This is how we've always done it. And, but then things don't work. And okay, then they try harder. They chant louder. Things don't work. Then a man of God stands up and says, Ha ha ha, seriously? Your God can't even hear you. Maybe he's behind the shed going to the restroom. And what did that do? That incensed them to then go even crazier. They start cutting themselves. They start doing everything that they can do to get the attention of their God. And none of it works. None of it works. Just like in this government, none of it, mark these words, none of it will work. God will control that Supreme Court. He will control both houses. By the way, there is going to be a surprise, guys. Come November, beginning of November, there's going to be a surprise like there was two years ago where no one thought Donald Trump would win and the media was, oh, he doesn't have a chance and everything else. And then all of a sudden we know what happened. You're going to see the same thing play out. Maybe not as dramatic because I think enough people are going to start catching on, but the same thing's going to play out. God will not lose control. In November. He will not lose control in November. In fact, it will be the opposite. He'll, he will gain further control because more of his bride is willing to say yes, whatever you want. Whatever you want. And you're starting to see it in people that you don't even expect. Because God knows the heart. I used to really not like Lindsey Graham. But I really like Lindsey Graham now. I wish I had the little clip to play for you guys. But you know what? People are going to get it. Now, I don't even know if Lindsey Graham knows the Lord. But see, they're going to see the fruit of God's people, of God's people, they're going to see the fruit of that. What do you think this revival is going to be? This revival is not about just people feeling an emotion. It's not even about just people being saved. It's about people coming to the understanding of relationship with God. The revival is going to happen in the bride. This will lead to more people being saved than ever. Because that's just how God does it. But understand this revival. It's not in the world. This revival is in the bride. It's waking the bride up. It's letting her know, do you even understand what you have access to? 
Not, not power. Because the bride's been going for power for centuries. But you have access to relationship. You have access to Jesus Christ who is power. I forgot. First Kings. <laughs> First Kings chapter 19. Now this is after all that happened. All the, the 450 prophets of Baal were killed. Which nothing's ever said about the priests of Ashtoreth, which would have been nice to know. I, I kind of, kind of think that that they all had some problems too. But, but all this happened, and 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 you know, it wasn't that God, you know, God came down and and just killed them all. No, God did what God did, and and the people then saw the truth. And what happened? Wow, you know what? Let's go back. Would you shake? <laughs> Sorry. And when all the people saw it, and th- this is this is after the nothing happens with the prophets of Baal. Then then Elijah prayed and called down the Lord. Huh? Wait, two people are talking to me. What? Uh, I'm sorry. We are in eighteen verse thirty-eight. Okay. Immediately, when after after the uh, Elijah called down in prayer, immediately the fire of the Lord, verse thirty-eight of chapter eighteen of First Kings, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell down on the ground and cried out, "The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God." Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. Do you notice? God didn't take care of the enemies. God showed his power. And he expected his people to rise up and do it. So many Christians sit back and just think, I don't know why God won't do this. We live in this world. We have all these abortions. We have all this going on. God, can't you do something about it? But see, all he's waiting for is for some people to let him be God through them. So his power can be seen. So the very people of Christ will rise up and will do his will. After that happened, though, and this is what, what he wants to, to really kind of press in this morning on. After that happened, that extraordinary event, I mean, imagine that. Talk about tables turning. You know, extraordinary. After that happens, 
then Elijah finds himself fleeing. Why? Because Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. Now, it must have been a credible enough threat. You, you would think that 450 prophets of Baal coming after you would be a little scary, right? But whatever reason, Jezebel scared him more than they did. Because he, he ran, right? And that's where we find ourselves in chapter 19 and verse 9. We'll start with verse 9. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Verse 11 Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. I, I want you to picture what's going on here, because we read this, and it's like, it's like uh, you know, huge wind, and then all of a sudden an earthquake, and then fire, and it, 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 all this happens in five minutes in our minds. But that's not what was going on. God said, Look for me. Look for me. He's hiding in this cave. He hears this wind. He walks out. And there's this huge wind that you would think God would speak to you in. Like, like of course, God's going to come in this raging power and speak to me. But he wasn't there. So he goes back in the cave. All of a sudden, he feels a little tremor, a little rumbling. He walks out to the front of the cave, and there's this big earthquake. And he listens intently. But there was nothing, because the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. Then he sees this flickering light from inside the cave, runs out to the edge, and sees this fire consuming the place. Surely... He's in the fire. I'm here, God. I'm listening. I'm at the front of the cave. And yet God was not in the fire. So he goes back in. After all that, I don't even know how he heard the whisper. <laughs> but he hears this gentle breeze. And all I could figure is God prompted him, get up. Get up and go to the front of the cave. So when Elijah heard it, this gentle whisper, it's kind of like, Elijah. Elijah. When he heard that, he stood up. He wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. It breaks my heart that that is the response of so many Christians that have been through something difficult where they knew they took their stand and did what God wanted them to do. But then after standing in the gap and going through the difficult part, they fell into their own emotions not realizing that God wasn't finished yet. God wasn't done yet. What was Elijah's complaint? I'm alone. I'm alone, God. Which we know later, he said, no, you're not alone. There were 4,000 more. You'd have just waited. But the extraordinary thing in this story is God's response. And this is what he wants us to know. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, Go back the same way you came. Travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Heziel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Sapheth, from the town of something, to replace you as my prophet. And then the Lord declares, anyone who escapes from Haziel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. See, Elijah's complaint, which is what we have all done, and is so easy to do when you look inside, but his complaint marked the very beginning of the end of his ministry. Never again in his ministry then would he be used like he was with those prophets of Baal. I don't know about you, that that tears me up. Because how often do we do that when we go through something difficult and we just look at our lives and 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 say, "But Lord, I'm in this by myself," or "Or but Lord, I I I I don't have this," or "But Lord, we don't have a building." I don't have the training. I don't have the, the insight. I don't have the discernment. I don't have, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have. How many times do we not step up to a battle that God wants us to wage? Because we're listening to the I don't haves. I don't know about you, that crushes me. 
Now, the beautiful thing is God looks at the heart. (laughs) And I think Elijah needed to be taught a lesson. But see, he's not done with Elijah yet. That's why he just took him and he didn't die. But see, even Elijah needed to know it doesn't matter if you're alone. It doesn't matter. Why? Because you're never alone. Never. God walks with you. And by the way, we've got all these others that you don't even know about. I know we feel alone as Ignition Church. We feel separated and have been separated. Not by our choice, but by those churches around us that won't talk to us. And we find solace in ourselves. But what if it was just you? Think about that. Would you have stepped in obedience if there was no one to your right or left? See, that's where he needs his warriors to be. That's where he needs his warriors to be. Because war has been declared. And the shift has come from defense to offense. And you watch. You watch what the Lord will do in the coming months. You watch. Not just in our country, but everywhere. You watch because you're going to begin to see signs that have never been seen in this place before. You will see resurrections in the United States. I know we always hear about them somewhere else. And then there's all, for some reason, it's just, pretty tough to get the the accuracy of the you know if if you're a doubter you can easily doubt i'm i'm telling you there are going to be miracles of resurrection that will happen that will be provable not that you wonder if it's true or not but they will be provable and i'm not talking about somebody who dies and is is, you know, dead for an hour and a half, and then they come back to life, which is a resurrection. That's not what I'm talking about. The Lord has told me of some that will be dead and in the grave for days and already embalmed and raised from the dead before they are put in the ground. See, in the States, that's a provable thing. Why? Because we have ways that we do things with people that die. We have death certificates. We have doctors that that have to declare the death in the first place. And then a a mortuary takes the body and and a coroner goes and, or is it coroner and whatever, the mortuary then then does the embalming and, and all that and prepares the body and everything else. These things will be provable. 
there will be other signs, and, and I've already stated some other signs, that that Washington Monument will come down. And by the way, that will not be because of a terrorist. It will not be even something that that we can attribute to kind of an act of God, like, like an earthquake that literally levels Washington, D.C. No, this will be something pinpoint accurate. Because it will be obvious as to who did it. That the God did it. There will be other signs. So, so my point is this. God's point is this. You're standing now and stepping onto the battlefield. You will see great victory. You'll see amazing victory. But at the height of that victory, don't look inward like Elijah did. Don't look inward. Don't worry about what would happen after. We have to keep our minds and our eyes on Jesus Christ and recognize that we are simply a vessel to be used until we breathe our last breath. So, yep, still yours, God. Until that stops, this mouth is His. These hands are His. These feet are His. And it can't just be me. It's got to be each one of us. Because it will need to be the entire bride. It's then and only then. When the Father says, they're ready for you. Go get them. And He will. We'll meet Him in the sky. And He'll take His bride who's been readied. Revelation 3.9 He'll take his bride who's been readied, who's ready for the groom. We're a long way from that right now, guys. And our eyes here have been opened to put out a message. And that message is that there is relationship available in Jesus Christ. And it's only through that relationship that all these things can happen. And we've said before, God is drawing a line in the sand. Rest assured, He is drawing that line in the sand. And you will choose that relationship or you will not. He will not accept lukewarm any longer. And I speak this to the churches that might be listening, to the Christians that might be listening. There is a line being drawn in the sand that you will have expectation of stepping on one side or the other. You will not be able to walk the line anymore. You will live your life for yourself or you will live your life for God. That line being drawn in the sand is not for the whole world. It is for those who know Jesus Christ as Savior. So we trust you, Lord. Do what you want. Do what you want. Help us, Lord, as you send us into these battle zones. Help us, God, when we witness these amazing victories. 
Not to then look inward and somehow let fear disable us or greed or anything, covetousness, anything. God, any way that the enemy would try and get in. Father, I pray a blocking over that in Jesus' name that you would always be able to do your will through us because we simply have open hands to say my life is yours, to do with as you will. I give you my yes. I give you my yes, Father. If you don't, tell him that every day. Tell him that every day. When he got a hold of my heart five years ago, I started doing that every day, Lord. I give you my yes. I give you my yes. Do your will. Do your will. Do your will. I don't know what your will is. I don't even care what your will is. I want to walk in your will. I want to do your will. I don't care about looking good for the pastor. I don't care about looking good for for churches and in church politics. What I care about is being close to you because you offer me this relationship. Why would I want to just know about you when I can know you? So I give you my yes. Do with me what you will. In Jesus' name, amen. When I think of of the hearts, I feel like we are a church of hearts that are surrendered and that do want God's plan. And, and my heart was, I felt like the Lord was just showing me that, you know, there are hearts here, yes, that may need to be making that bold decision in their own life. But some are in the battle of, yes, I'm already given my yes, but how do I deal with the onslaught that comes against my yes every day? And one thing I will tell you that in this powerful word and declaration that actually hit me before all that was during worship. Worship is one of the weapons of our warfare. Worship is a way to come against the onslaughts of the enemy. But one thing that is very important in worship, and I sensed that it was not fully here, present, is the taking of thought captive. When you are worshiping and you allow your mind to go into different various distractions, even the distraction of wondering what somebody else is doing right now or wondering if, you know, or, well, I don't even know. I mean, should I get a water now? Should I not? You know, I know, I, I know I, you know, I'm trying not to get up to disrupt the service. So should I do this? What do I got to do today? And Oh, how am I feeling? And all the crazy things that you're not even aware that you're thinking. All of a sudden, two songs went by. You sang every word, but your mind was somewhere else. And it's so important. If the enemy can come against your thought life during worship, he does not have that focus that is needed to have that be a weapon of your warfare. And I'll tell you what, when the enemy's got your thoughts, he's got your life. So we've been talking about that in the women's class, but I know there are hearts that desire God, but they do not, 
We don't know. It's, it's like when Paul wrestled. Wow, that, those things I want to do, I'm not doing. And the things I'm not supposed to do, I keep doing. That is driven by the thoughts. And so we've got to take every thought captive. We've got to hone in. You've got to pray and ask God to keep the distractions from your mind. And if you have to tap yourself or pinch yourself or to focus to wake up, I caught myself doing that as well. And the, at the end of the first song, I thought, oh, I, yeah, I'm singing every word. And I got through it. And I don't think I thought one iota about what I was singing. As soon as I focused, my eyes went above the muck and the mire of the circumstances of my body, my feelings, my emotions, the circumstances of our atmosphere, the church, the what I got to do later. Everything went to God and who he is. And it just... I immediately felt his presence. He was like going, thank you, Alexis. Thank you for letting me in. I know your heart's in the right place, but it was blocked. It was blocked by the distractions of this life. And the enemy wants us to think that's not a big deal, but it is a big deal because it has everything to do with what makes us vulnerable. And so take that thought captive through the power that you do have access to, like he said. That is so important. But if you just slide through worship, or if you just kind of, well, I kind of, I'm into worship, but I just kind of prefer the peppy songs. Or I kind of prefer the, you know, this song. Or, well, I just like to sit back and just listen to Brooke sing, you know, or whatever. It, be sure that you're engaging. It's an act of worship. Whether you enjoy songs, don't enjoy songs. And, And believe me, that's what's divided the bride. Well, I'm just not into that kind of music. You know, it's a strange battle of, of almost like, you know, this is about my taste and my preference. No, this is about serving the yes. Almighty God in worship yes. and yes. bowing before Him. And that is going to be a key to the willingness to step in boldness. I tell you what, because when all I see is God, I can do all things through yes. Christ who strengthens Him. If He is for me, who can be against me? Seriously, who? Bring Him. You know, that's what Isaiah says. Where are my accusers? Bring them, let them come forth because God, Jesus is my advocate. It's a, it's an amazing place of boldness that won't come from the timidity of who we are, but will come through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our savior. And so that is what God is asking the bride to do is to not see the, I can't, like he said today, but to see the, I can do all things through you. In fact, it's actually really good. If if you're aware of the, I can't, that's a great Mm. place to start. Now just set them aside and let God do it. If you, if there's a lot of I can without the in Christ, you're in trouble. You're better off knowing that you can't do a thing. You're better off just handing God your weakness, but, and then letting him take over. But we got to give him our worship. We got to give him our worship. Uh, I, you know, I feel like sometimes Wendy just feels like how many times do I have to say that Tuesday nights? Let's worship him. Let's worship him. If you're worshiping correctly, you don't tire of it. It's an amazing thing. I cannot believe how long worship went. And I remember complaining, if I'm really being honest, still teaching in ministry, still in my ministry. I remember complaining that it was 30 minutes long years ago. Like, seriously? They're doing another song? Oh, man. Feet kind of hurt. Oh, my back, my back. You know. It's like, it doesn't mean that sometimes my body doesn't hurt. Adjust yourself. Don't you think God works with our weaknesses? He lets us sit, lets us stand, move around, whatever you've got to do. 
But when you worship him correctly, you don't tire of it. And it's a powerful weapon against this, the enemy that comes against us. So I just want to encourage you. This, this was such a powerful word. I, I pray that you will listen to this again and, um, and declare, declare with him. And uh, for anyone that didn't understand that earlier in Jesus' name cast out, he wasn't trying to get rid of a human being here in our church and cast them out and threaten their life. Uh, that was in the spirit realm. And, um, and so, as far as we know. <laughs> so um, I, I do want to um, just remind you to be in prayer uh, for the, when is the prayer walk coming up? I'm not going to announce it, but I just, when is it? Okay, next week. Please pray this week for that. Um, for them to go out and, and do, you know, the, it's not just about those that take their physical bodies and walk in a physical walk and meet the physical people. It's really about sending angels before those activities and asking for divine encounters, divine appointments, that right now he begin to work in hearts to be there at the right place at the right time when, when um, Ignition goes and prays. It, it's an amazing thing, but it needs prayer. Yeah. That is what drives uh, and changes hearts. So Amen. be praying about that, and, and that will probably be talked about again and announced. But, um, but I do want to uh, encourage you again to, to be uh, engaging on the prayer call. And uh, I know we feel like we're blue in the face with that, but it's been really exciting. We've seen so many changes. We've heard amazing declarations, and it will really draw you into the presence of God um, in a way that, that's incredible. And if it is ever on someone else's heart to step up and lead a different time slot that would give somebody an option, we would be just more than thrilled to begin another prayer call time slot to maybe start twice a week, three times a week. We are not just limited. The 8.30 prayer call nightly is the beginning of, of multiple prayer lines, prayer groups, etc. 